Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage or in these troubled times over the internet. At Profile Theater, we spend an entire season exploring the work of a given playwright. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now, welcome to Satellite. Welcome to Satellite Beyond the Page, Profile Theater's deep dive into the world of the play and or the playwright that we are working on at the moment. And right now, that playwright is Paula Vogel, and the play is The Oldest Profession. Uh, We have a bit of a different kind of show this time around on Satellite. Usually we have uh, three guests, Um, and this time we have three interviews, but we have a total of six guests. Um, yeah, it's a satellite extravaganza. Um, we're going to start off with Charla Hathaway, uh, actress, playwright, um, sex worker, sex therapist, uh, and just like all around forward thinker and visionary um, and uh, really kind of a neat person. And then um, we're going to hear from uh, Brenda Phillips and Wanda Walden, uh, two of my favorite people in the Portland theater scene. Um, they've been around for years. They've been around here longer than, than I have been. Uh, Brenda is, of course, an amazing actor. And Wanda um, is a renowned costume designer. Uh, and they are both working together again as they have many times in the past but they're working with uh, Jamie Ray on The Oldest Profession and then finally we're going to have Charlene Zydell, Emily Running and Josh Hecht Uh, these are um, three but not all of the minds and the wills behind the old moody stages which we're putting on a performance festival Profile and Dance Wire and uh, the Portland Opera and um, some other companies Uh, it's going to be amazing and I think um, I need to find a new word in that word amazing I use it a lot Sorry about that, folks. I'm working on it. Um, I still get nervous about these things. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting episode. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome to Satellite Beyond the Page. Greetings, Earthlings. I am here today with Sharla Hathaway. Sharla Hathaway is a playwright, an actor. Uh, what are the things am I missing here, Sharla? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I used to be an intimacy coach, and that's, I think, why I'm here uh, in that route there. And now I'm kind of retired at age 72, but I'm writing plays about naked as my age and tales of sex magic, talking about being in sex work for all the two decades that I've done it. Right on. And um, so uh, you were telling me a super interesting story when we walked in. Um, 
you said you turned to sex work at the age of 54. And yeah. I guess uh, that's not the first thing that people would think that somebody <laughs> that age would, would, would turn to. But um, I want to hear all about it. <laughs> right. Um, I actually, I became a whore at 54. That's one of the songs in my Naked at My Age play. I, you know, it kind of surprised me, too, because I lived in a small Colorado town. I mean, I was, you know, in the League of Women Voters and ran for city council and taught violin and had kind of a regular life, got divorced at age 50, moved to Austin, Texas, where it was warmer. And gosh, I was looking at, for a job, you know, and I kind of didn't want to teach school for 100 bucks a day. Uh, as a substitute, and I saw the ad on the back of the Austin Chronicle, Escort of Austin, make $5,000 a week. And I thought, oh my God, I probably won't make 5000 but I'd always been kind of curious about that. Had kind of played with my fantasies about, you know, the expensive call girl with the slit up her back dress, and I thought, my God, you suppose, and I looked down at my end table in five of the books I'm reading, you know, the New Age Sexual Healers, Women Working, uh, Real Life Nude Girls by Carol Queen, and I thought, you know, I'm interested in sex. And uh, maybe I'll just add, you know, answer that ad. And I did, and I became a, a call girl. I, I lied about my age for the first time took off 10 years. And they said, you know, we can't assure you any work. And I said, you don't really have to. And uh, it was really a very fascinating way for me to grab a hold of my own doubts and stuff. Because all at once, this shy girl in a way that had never really thought sex was about her, it was always about somebody else. They came knocking on my door and it was all about me. And I was supposed to teach them. And I realized I just started slowing up and breathing. I didn't even know about the word Tantra, but I was kind of teaching Tantra. And soon a, a client came in and said, hey, you know, I really ought to introduce you to a sexual healer friend of mine. And so it was just a few months that I really worked as a prostitute or, or call girl and began my education and my career on to other things, too, in the field. That's an amazing story. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally curious. So I feel like, uh, even for people who think of themselves as relatively progressive minded, um, that there is some kind of stigma attached to, to sex work, some kind of judgment. Oh, it's like, even horrible. though, like, say, for like, I, like, I think of myself as totally, uh, open. Like, I, I think it should be legal. Um, I think it should be looked at as how how is anybody else uh, working with their body makes a living. But I don't know. Like if my sister would all of a sudden be like, hey, I'm going to make my work this way. I'd be like, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so but was there any of that? Oh, it's, it's a huge stigma. I mean, you know, I'd be at a cocktail party and how do you introduce yourself? A relationship coach, an intimacy <laughs> professional, uh, you know, how far do you go? And you're, I feel like I'm constantly making up uh, stuff and, and still, I think that's why in my seventies now I want to write a play about the uh, 12 stories of my wonderful clients and and what do they come who sees sex workers why what kind of things do they come for can you teach intimacy because i want to take some of that stigma you're talking about and say hey sex care is health care 
you know, and the women that do it and men, whatever things they're doing, it could be just, you know, white Tantra, not pink Tantra or red Tantra, whatever you bring to that puzzle. And for me, it was just an evolution. I didn't know there was this huge feeling, uh, field of sex, uh, education, which I'm helping make bigger now with a PhD and whatever, taking, uh, giving workshops and whatever. But, um, it's, yeah, we got it. We got a mountain to climb here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, uh... Um, you said, for instance, uh, that, you know, you weren't sure that you would get work. They were like, we don't know if we can guarantee you work, but, uh, you found work, you know, is there, uh, anything that you want to tell us about older women and their sexuality? Uh, Other women, did you say? Older women. Older women. Yes. It's like, I am so glad I didn't find this 10 or 20 years earlier. I would could have been somewhat clueless. I mean, I knew my body would tell me yes or no what was right. And I knew I could make some of my own decisions, too, and take the lead. I mean, thank God. That's what healed me in my own sexuality, is being able to... Uh, you know, there's a song I wrote for the first play where it goes, go straight for the goods, dude. You know, it was about sex in my 20s. So that the field electing sexuality work in whatever kind of field it is, it can be so healing for yourself, so enlightening because it's so shoved under the rug and covered up and stigmatized and shamed. And if we can take that part of our life, Bobby, and and bring it out into the sunshine of our scrutiny and and go with it and drive with it and uh, discover it. Hey, man, I figure if you can do drive well in the bedroom, then the boardroom is a cinch. Mm. In other words, you start in your own private life. I've seen these professional women, they fall apart in relationships. They, they can't, you know, take the initiative or, you know, my boyfriend kisses me too, too hard, too wet, too fast. Well, I, I don't know what to do about it. So I help show them. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, I know you read the play uh, of, of the oldest profession. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about about like those those women? Like, what kind of insight do you have into who those women are and who? You, you know, I tried out for that play, and I thought, gosh, darn it, if I don't get a part in that play, because I'm the real thing. <laughs> but um, oh, the people that are in it are so great. I'm so glad I don't have that per- much professional acting experience. Um, Old, I think elective sexuality, um, you know, when I talk about anything coercive, um, I think you can work in a, in a, in a, in a factory or in a, in a retail store and it feels somewhat coercive. You really don't Absolutely. have a lot of choices. Absolutely. Um, but when you really elect that and it comes from you and you feel like you can design your own work and you can attract the people that you want. I used to think, oh my God, I'm 54. I only have 10 years to do this. Bullshit. I got better and better. I could do it full time now in my 70s if I wanted to. There are always people a little older or a little younger that hunger for something that's authentic in sexuality, a way for them to see that their choices might open up a bit. Their ability and skill at getting consent uh, is um, it's very, very teachable. And so I think that um, the play being about older women in the profession, I'm so glad it's about the profession. I'm so glad that it's, that it's even older in age. And I, I actually think it's a field 
our body might not work the same as it does 10, 20, 30 years ago, but the possibility for depth and preciousness within sexuality increases as we age. Hmm. And touch is the only one of our five senses that actually grows more acute as we age. Nope, didn't know that. The depth of it more, I mean, we don't hear as well, see, even smell, whatever. But that touch, you go into a, a senior home, and I noticed this with my mother. All you need to do is put your hand on their shoulder or on their forearm or on their knee as you speak. And that just galvanizes your conversation to a whole nother level. Right. We have so pushed away the sense of trust and, and feared it. If we can begin giving the message and the message to our younger folks Hey, you don't have to feel like you have to hurry and get it all right now. Take your time, because sex is something that can get better and better. And if you really want the toe curling, tingle up your spine stuff, you just might have to wait a few decades. Wow. All right. Um, uh, and, you're, and you're kind of like getting at a lot of this already. Uh, what are... Uh, um, like some things that like people on the outside might think about sex workers that is really like um, inaccurate. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, they just think we have a bunch of orgies. And I don't really fault those women that are having orgies. That's fine. There's probably mm-hmm. some orgies we need. But there's a lot of us, too, that have a lot of different type of skills. And really, my second movie um, – video that I made for Fertile Ground and got an award called uh, Tales of Sex, Magic, and Healing. It's a dozen of these things about how somebody who loses a partner or somebody who's been in a partner but hasn't had touch for 25 years, you know, or, um, uh, you know, somebody who wants to dress like a lady, uh, a, a woman who just thinks sex is all about giving and, and teach me how to give a better erotic massage, Sharla, because, you know, that's all about, what about you? Do you get massages back? Oh, no, men don't do that kind of touch to me. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a great feel to take somebody one baby step at a time and show them their own sexual empowerment, their own way that they can begin to, to, to lead, especially you know, in, in, at times where they felt very powerless. Right. So, Charlotte, even just like talking to you right now, um, you just seem very like, like you're like the fire still going. Like, <laughs> you know, this is a subject matter that you're very passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. That did that start before you went into the sex work? Or did it come afterwards? Um, the, the, what uh, did you say about sex work? The, uh, the, the Did it start before? You know, I, I do think I've, I'm a pretty passionate person. Um, I had a good marriage for 25 years, uh, but kind of an unusual, common type marriage. And it wasn't until I started to get into sex work that I began to realize you don't have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then uh, repeat that and repeat that ad nauseum, so to speak. You can begin to Use your breath, use your imagination, use your timing, play a little bit with power, uh, bring play. When did we stop playing? Mm. You know, when did it get so serious? So I'm so glad I made it a profession. And I think I bring that passion to that profession. It's been hard sometimes. My son hasn't really come to see my plays. He's he's 40 with the family. And uh, I have some sisters who, mm, you know, mm, one, I really can't go visit. 
And so it's come with a price hmm. to pay. It has. Uh, so, um, like, everything that you're saying and talking about sounds uh, really right on and forward-thinking to me, but it's uh, just a bridge too far for them? Yes. Uh, do you know, I actually think there's a jealousy uh, of women. We can be our own worst enemies sometimes uh, about women that are successful and independent and make a lot of money and decide the, the boundaries of their work and when they're going to or where they're going to work. And I, I think there's some jealousy in there. And uh, I think... Uh, it's it's kind of a night and day profession in a way. You know, I, I have a little sad feeling in my for sure. my son because I think he doesn't. You know, he won't get to see, doesn't choose to see my plays, and um, I think he's afraid if the truth kind of. Well, families are too close sometimes, and that's okay for work to be just a little bit apart, and that's the way it is. Um, why did you like like what made you turn to theater? When did you start writing about about the industry and about that life and about sexuality in general? Yeah. Well, I moved to Portland from Austin, Texas to be a grandma. I got a little two, two-year-old grandson. And I thought, do I want to keep seeing clients here? And I really feel like that footprint has been done. And I want a larger footprint. I want a footprint that brings art um, to people that might forward this profession into something that where people can understand it better. They're less afraid of it. They might seek it themselves. Um, they might not judge somebody else that does it. So um, I think I'm in the artistic. Uh, and then COVID hit, so I don't know if I can really take it on the road uh, or how that'll be. But I've got a website in which you can see the the two films that I made on. And I do a movie night where people, if they want to, they can view it with me and we have a little talk afterwards. So I'm trying to line my light up to uh, to use my theatrical and my uh, playwriting skills in a way to make people understand and feel better about their own stories and courage to tell them, to believe in them and trust them and share them even about sex. Right on. Charlotte, am I wrong? Were you in Invited Desire with Eleanor No, I wasn't here yet in Austin, but Eleanor O'Brien is the director for both of my uh, Naked at My Age and Tales ah, of Sex Magic. She would be the one. You know, thank you, Portland, number one, for being so creative and artistic and profile theater is just a really big juggernaut in that. And thank you, Eleanor O'Brien, too, for being the sex, sassy, smart theater woman that she is, because she said, Charla, you've got a story. And you need to tell it. And so I did. Yeah, that was a good Eleanor imitation, too. And she sounds just like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I say, I, I love her. I've known her for years. Um, that's, that's fantastic. So one last question. You said uh, you were doing sex work in Austin, and then one of your clients said, um, uh, why don't you come on and be a sex healer? Yeah. Uh, one of my clients said... Um, you know, you 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 work very intuitively and very healing uh, with me. And this is when I was still a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And and he says you have to meet um, a sexual healer here in Austin. She's a friend of mine. I said okay. And he said no. You have to get on the phone with her right now. Matter of fact, I'm going to use my three hundred dollar session to give you a foot massage while you talk on the phone to this lady. <laughs> and this lady told me she said. Um, you know, honey, do you want to make, you know, 
more more money, see exactly the client you want, and and to do exactly what you want, you you need to to get out of the agency. They're not doing anything to protect you anyway. And you make yourself a website. It has to be three pages, who you are, what you do, who you want to see. And I did that. And my son actually built the website for me. And that's history. It is the field of dreams. And they came. There's so many people yearning for an authentic experience to learn about this wonderful body and how to take it up one more step, to feel it better, to feel more relaxed with it, to be open to the sensations more, and a more intimate, genuine sharing with someone, that it's a wonderful field. Right on. Well, yay, Sharla. Thank you so much for coming in and thanks for sharing and uh, being so frank and oh, and open about, uh, you know, and not just like like working in the sex industry, but sex in general can be a scary thing for people to talk about. It is a hard thing to talk about. And, and when I do workshops, that's what people say. Oh, you you make such a uh, hard to talk about subject seem pretty natural and normal. And maybe that's my gift. Then I hope so. And I want to thank you for Profile Theater and, and for bringing the oldest profession right here for all of us. In July. I've got my ticket and I'm sitting in the front row. I can't wait. Well, I'm sure Josh would be glad to hear that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. This has been Sharla Hathaway for Satellite Beyond the Page. And we'll be right back with Brenda Phillips and Wanda Walden. Profile Theater presents We Are Ceremony, a collaboration between Profile Theater and 10 Tiny Talks as part of the Old Moody Stages Festival. Join us for a visual showcase and artist talk featuring interdisciplinary artists of the Black and Indigenous diaspora from the transgender and two-spirit communities. Themes of sacred irreverence, myth, resistance, and chaos theory come forward in these pieces. We Are a Ceremony is the culmination of a three-week intensive led by Zelos Zelos Marchant and facilitated by A.C. Ramirez de Arellano. View the display in the Barge Building at Zydell Yards, August 15th, before the 2 p.m. matinee of The Oldest Profession, and at 3.45 p.m., you will meet the artist, and a reception will follow. The event is 100% free. For more information, contact Bobby B at ProfileTheater.org. We are Ceremony. Experience the truth. We're back with Brenda Phillips and Wanda Walden. I am here with uh, two of the true luminaries, like most well-known names of Portland theater. Um, this is uh, old school greatness we're talking about here. Uh, actually, the very first show I personally ever did in Portland, I did with the amazing Brenda Phillips. Um, so, uh, greetings, Brenda Phillips. Greetings there, my brother, Bobby. <laughs> and of course, uh, we have costume maven and diva Wanda Walden, uh, whose, whose history in Portland theater goes way back in just about at every theater in town. Greetings, Wanda Walden. Greetings, Bobby. <laughs> now, uh, full disclosure, we are not all in the same state. Uh, you know, we are uh, doing this via the wonders of Zoom and yeah. 21st century technology. 
But um, I got to say, I am super excited to have this conversation with you two ladies. Um, uh, obviously, I love both y'all. Love um, you too. Love you uh, too. And it's uh, so amazing that this opportunity has arisen for y'all to to do work to, to, together, like back here in Portland. Absolutely. Because we sell, that seldom is. happens. Right. Here it is like the... The Portland uh, Profile's first live show in like a year and a half. Yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, th- thank you for that. Um, so first I wanted to ask you guys, uh, um, you all's relationship with each other is what really like excited me about this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing y'all on Facebook or the interweb somewhere and y'all were, uh, had met in some city and were c- cavorting and... Uh, having fun, and you guys just seem to have a really beautiful relationship. We do. Um, That's my sister. Oh man, we went to the high. We went to high school together, but I was a few years ahead of her, so I didn't. I didn't really know Wanda personally from high school, but I I knew that she was an artist. That's what I didn't know that, but I didn't. I, I didn't have you know in high school. It's this thing, your freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And so the junior seniors never really had anything to do with freshmen and sophomores. And and so Wanda, I'm sorry, girl, but you wasn't in the clique. (laughs) We worked together. I think the first time I actually met Wanda, and I, I don't even know if you remember this, but it was on the city bus and I was reading a book. And I think you said something to me and said, oh, that's a really good book. I've got that book. And we kind of had a little bit of a conversation of meeting on the bus. I mean, I knew. I remember that. I Yeah. And I was like, I was like, and you had on something, you know, Wanda Fabulous. And I thought like, I like that. I like that. And I don't know if we exchanged numbers that day. I really don't remember. But I do remember meeting on the bus to actually have conversation. And uh, I knew she was from high school. And that had been maybe, I don't know, two, three years after after high school, after I went to, I don't know, I don't quite remember. But it, it's been 40 years more or more. Right. Yeah, it's been a while. We've been friends for a long time. What high school is this? Jefferson High School. School of the Arts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first show... I, well, the first costuming show I did was The Resurrection of Lady Lester, and Brenda was in it. Yep. Julianne Johnson. Yeah. Oh, wow. Tony Armstrong. Mm-hmm. All the big hitters. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of people in that show. Um, uh, the saxophone player, Joe Johnson. I think he's he lives in um, the Los Angeles, I think now, but he's he's a phenomenal saxophone player. He was in it, and I can't remember. I I think it was another young man, but I don't recall his name. Um, oh no, that was Sarah. The next one I did with you with you was with the uh, ceremonies and dark old men. Oh wow! And we were wow. on stage together. I played Adele. Yeah. And wait, and wait a minute, and um, what is it? It was another play that we did at uh, store, Old Storefront Theater with Rick Jones du- was directing it. Um, Blue Man and the Sign. Blue Man and the Sign. Yeah. That was, we've worked, we've done a lot of stuff together and um, 
uh, the Colored Museum. You were, right. yeah, uh, just so much stuff. And uh, and but we've been personal friends. Yeah. For a very long time. That's my sister. I love her. That's my sister from another mother. I love her. <laughs> I love you, girl. <laughs> you and me must never cut my da da. <laughs> Uh, Wanda, it's, it sounds like you have all. It sounds like you have always had your sense of fashion. Oh yeah, is, is that right? Yes, that is true. Yes, since a little girl, I remember. I, I blame it on my mom. She for my birthday, I think for my ninth birthday, she got me um, a purple bike with all these purple and lavender outfits, and they was hating in the neighborhood. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I went to a uh, design school and uh, more for fashion. And then I started Retrospect, a theatrical modeling company in 1981. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and Brenda, she, she modeled for me. I did. And did like that? I uh -oh. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you wind up in theater, uh, Wanda? Well, I tell you, I was doing one of my retrospect shows and uh, Michael Grant uh, was directing, um, which one was it? Was it Resurrection? Um, uh, I think it was Resurrection. No, he, yeah, it was Resurrection of Lady Lester, I think. And so he saw uh, one of my shows and I had a lot of vintage in it and he asked me to uh, costume the resurrection of uh, Lady Lester. And so the rest is law history. Yeah. We're, 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 um, all these shows you all are naming. First of all, it's wild hearing these names again. I had, like, like these were all like famous black plays back in the day. Ceremonies of Dark right. Old Men. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and it's, it's just really great hearing those names again um, and uh, hearing some of these uh, old school theater artists uh, like Rick Jones and some of these other names. I don't I don't recognize as much. What theater company was this? Oh, OK. Um, I did a show uh, with uh, Portland Black Repertory Theater. Uh, Rosemary Allen was artistic director. Or actually, she was a founder uh, and artistic director. And we did um, Langston Hughes play. Uh, goodness, the name is Langston Hughes. What was that? I forget to play? But that was one of the huh? Simply heavenly. Simply heavenly. That, yeah, simply heavenly. heavenly. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And she, How many were in that cast? About 30 people in that cast. There was about 30 people in the cast. Yeah, and we were, I mean, we were, there were bartenders and there were lots of vignettes and it was lots of music and it, it was just phenomenal. And also um, the Colored Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that was at Interstate Firehouse Cultural Center. Um, and Red Beans and Rice. Hey, raisins, oh. yeah, Red Beans and Rice. Mm -hmm. And that was out at... Um, Gosh, Wanda, I don't even think it's a theater anymore. Was that Portland Civic Theater or was that? Uh, that was the first one. And I think you did uh, did it again, remember? Yes, we did. We did it again. 
And also uh, Raising in the Sun and Bill Ray directed that. And that was, that was, that wasn't at Artist Repertory. That was at another little theater company uh, over uh, in the park blocks. It's no longer there. It's in, it was downstairs in the museum building. I can't remember the name of it, Mm -hmm. but um, Michael Grice. I can't remember. There's so many people that are no longer around. Um, wow. I hadn't thought about a lot of this in a while. So thank you, right. Bobby, for even having us on here to talk about it. But Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Bill Ray directed us in Ceremonies in Dark Old Men. Yeah. That's how far uh, we go back. And I was in a rehearsal for Ceremonies and uh, also doing um, in Ma Rainey. Maureen's Black Bottom. Yeah. Maureen's Black Bottom. Yeah. Wanda, I forgot that you used to be an actress. Oh, I act every day still. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You you always make an entrance still. Oh yeah. I yeah. try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh so Wanda, I'm totally curious. So um like as you guys have, have kind of like mentioned already, um you meet people, but then, you know, people go away, you know, and I, and yeah. I think that happens in theater even more than usual yet. Uh, but this particular relationship, you all have worked to hold on to. Um, yeah. How come? Cause I love her and you we, know, we're, we're like sisters. Yeah. And we, we're constantly creating either writing things. I mean, we've got projects that we've been working on together off and on for years and we collaborate a lot and we're just, Hey, she, you know, when you meet someone, yeah, yeah. It's just, and it's unbreakable, you know, but nobody miss them. My girl. That's right. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We have a problem. (laughs) So, uh, Wanda, um, what is it you think about Brenda in particular, uh, like like both as an um, as an artist and as a person that uh, attracts you to her so much? Like, what is it that makes Brenda special for you? She's down to earth. I could talk to her about anything. When I say anything, I mean anything. <laughs> and we just have love for each other. Cool. Um, Brenda, uh, same question. Uh, you all have been friends for 20 years. What is it about Wanda? 40 years. 40 years. 40 years. Don't get hurt now. <laughs> 40 years. Oh, man. I just, uh, Wanda just has a whole uh, aura about her that that's, that uh, exudes creativity. And that, you know, and, and uh, artists... I think artists are drawn to other artists and you kind of know your artists even without spoke speaking it sometimes, you know, just by the way you carry yourself. And so I've always known that even when I didn't know her in high school, I, I saw her in high school and I knew I was like, you know, she's an artist, although I was involved in the arts in the school, but because I was an, an upper class person, we didn't cross that each other, but I'm sure you know, she was doing a lot of stuff that I probably had done already. And she and then she was just so fashionable and just so, I mean, you know, when you enter, when, when Miss Wanda enters a room, it's like, hey, hey, girl, you know, and it's just that 
that thing. It's that sisterhood thing. And, and she's just a beautiful person inside and out. I love her. That's my girl. What's it like when y'all are working? Easy. Easy. We know what we know. We speak a language about when we're working together uh, that uh, I said, Wanda, I have to do X, Y and Z. And she's like, well, I need to do X, Y and Z. And if we can collaborate on any of that, we do that. But we're it's just like we're just in sync all the time about what it is we want to do. And then uh, um, we bounce ideas off of each other all the time. And I mean, when I say all the time, I mean all the time and about everything. And um, I, uh, I don't need therapy because Wanda's my therapist. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm sorry. And I said, I don't need therapy. I don't mean I don't need therapy. <laughs> I mean, because you know, hey, hey, I'm an artist, but I got, I got demons. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. And so. uh, uh, Brenda has directed me and, uh, that was that was pretty nice. I mean, because she yeah. could say, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you know, no problem. She can get it out of me. Have uh, Have you worked with Brenda as a costume designer, where where, she, where, where Brenda was directing? Uh, have I? Did you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I directed um, um, Distracted. And Wanda was a costumer there, and I directed uh, Peel, Peel Hill with all milk. That's another one. Yeah, oh and Wanda, Wanda costumed that. And also, uh, what was the one, Wanda, that you were also in? The uh, You played the old lady? Oh, Flying West. Flying West, Procleges Flying West. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I can't remember any others. No, it might. That's be. a lot right there. That's a that's a lot right there. Yeah. Um, and now uh, it was like I, I feel like a few years ago, didn't y'all meet up like in Atlanta or something? And you were like posting like pictures of your adventures yes. on Facebook. Yes, we were all over Atlanta, man. It was yeah. it wasn't enough days in Atlanta for us to do all the stuff we wanted to do, and uh, but we have to do that again because. But, but since then, of course, we've had COVID, so we couldn't do that because we had plans to do some things and go do, you know, to uh, do some sister, what we call um, sister therapy sessions, where it's a bunch of women and we do books and we go to the coast and we, you know, write and we talk and we do different things. And it's just one day, so like a getaway. But we, that was all shut down because of the pandemic. We will get back to it, though. Definitely. When uh, Brenda moved to New York, I also went to New York. To yeah. In New York. She came oh, yeah. to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I left and moved to New York in 93. 92, 93. I think it was 93. And, I mean, I was there for almost 10 years and then back to Portland for a few years. And then I've been in Atlanta for 10 years. So, anyway, we, we, we like Siamese twins. <laughs> I mean, I was walking around the house looking for my phone, and I, I, I was one. One was like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm looking for my phone." And she said, well, "What are you talking on?" <laughs> 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 okay, okay. Stuff like that. Our conversations be 
so funny. We just be cracking each other up. <laughs> we be like, what? I said, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and Brenda lived in the same neighborhood and grew up with my husband. So she I did a lot of stories. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what? You married him? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, put him on the phone. <laughs> I, I I literally like like uh Wanda, your husband, I feel like is somebody I really want to meet because he's a person I feel like I've heard so many stories about <laughs> over the years. <laughs> you know, and he he's almost like this legendary figure. Yeah, he you just know. he just in the background, you know, just like probably shaking his head at us like, oh, there they go again. Okay, let me get out the way. That's all right. He's got to get on because, you know, we got stuff to do. But he's my brother. Right. Yeah, right. he's my Absolutely. brother from another mother too. But yeah, and I've known him since I was seven years old. Oh, wow. Yes. That's why I said, what? You married him? What? <laughs> And, and actually, he was my first boyfriend in high school. Wow. That doesn't really happen like that anymore. But yeah, so we're like tight, you know, and my family is her family. Her mom is is, is my second mom, Mother D, you know. I'd be like, Mother Donaldson. She'd be like fussing about Wanda. <laughs> So, um, uh, because I, you know, have uh, insider information, I knew that the, that uh, Jamie Ray, the director of uh, the Olds Profession, um, was dialed in on both y'all from jump. It was like, like you know, right away, like she knew who she wanted to work with. What was it like for you guys, however, to find out that the other one was going to be working on this show? Exciting! I was so happy. I was so happy to find that out. I was like. Okay, I'm going to Portland. I mean, I love Jamie and stuff. I didn't, I knew Joanne, but I didn't know the other act. I didn't know who else was going to be in the in the production. So I was like, oh, I'm going to Portland. That's cool. There's Jamie. There's Bobby. That's cool. You know. And then I find out that Wanda's going to be doing the costuming. I was like, oh yes, all right, all right. I was super happy. I was like, yeah. I said because I know my girl. I know what she could do. And I knew she was going to be in Portland, but she was working on something else. And I told her, I said, well, I'm going to Portland and I'm going to be working on this production uh, with, with Jamie, uh, uh, the oldest profession and stuff. And she said, she called me today. I said, well, she called you. What she call you about? <laughs> yeah, what she call you about? Because I, I was excited about you told me that you were going to come to Portland. I said, oh, I'll see you while I'm here. You know, and, and then I was like, yeah, uh, Jamie gave me a call and I said, said well, what? my girl going to be in it. All right, man. All right. That was, that was great. Uh, and so, Brenda, um, like I've, I've heard your like like your son had a funny reaction towards the play and towards your character yeah. in, particular in the play. <laughs> I told him, I said, I'm going to be going to Portland to do this play. And he was like, oh, all right, mom. you know, because like, hey. You know, he knows what I do, how I do it, and have since he can remember. He grew up backstage. So anyway, he was saying, well, what's this about? And I said, well, I said, it's about a, a stable of women, and uh, it's five women, and I'm the madam. And I said, and he said, what? I said, 
I said, wait a minute. I said, I, I'm, uh, there were 80 year old uh, women of the, of the life, uh, prostitutes. And he was like, what? And I, and I said, and I'm the madam. And I said, and the thing is, it's about women in that business, the oldest business, you know, on earth, really. And we're getting older, but we're still doing the business. But our clients are aging with us and they're dying out. So I have to make sure that the uh, women in my stable are getting more clients. He said, Mom, you a pimp? I said, no, 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 no. That's not... He said, I said, no, son, I'm not a pimp. I'm a madam. He said, mom, apples, oranges, apples, oranges. Mama, <laughs> you're a pimp. I said, no, I'm not a pimp. And I was trying to explain to him. I was like, it's different. I said, it's not that, you know, I see a pimp is different. I said, these women care about each other. I said, you'd have to read the play. He said, mom, you can dress it up and dress it down, but <laughs> the end result is the same. I said, no, because... I said, you know what? Never mind. Right. <laughs> I just left it alone. He said, "Mom, pimp means you're a pimp. put it in my purse, huh? Pimp means put it in my purse or put it in my pocket. <laughs> P I M P. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, he was like, "Okay, mom." He was like, "Sounds like it's going to be a good production." I said, "Oh yeah," and that was before I knew it had music in it. But Jamie told me early on. She said, uh, "We might have. We'll might." It might be, uh, it's, the script that she sent me had no music in it. She said, so the next script you're going to get is going to have music in it. And I thought like, oh, okay. <clears throat> but we got a lot of music, a lot of good stuff too. Wanda, Brenda, um, thanks for taking a few, a few minutes and just giving us some insight into y'all's friendship and your artistic relationship. Um, obviously, you know, I love you both. Uh, I love you too, and, Bobby. Love you too, And thank Bobby. the world of y'all. Uh, it has been uh, my absolute pleasure. Um, uh, so thank you for taking this time with me. Yes. Thank you for having me. Bye, Wanda. Bye, Bye Brenda. sister girl. Love you. Love you. Okay. Thank you. All right. And we are going to be right back with Charlene Zidell, Emily Running, and Josh Hecht. DanceWire is Portland's dance hub. Whether you are a total beginner, haven't danced in years, or are a professional, we invite you to explore the possibilities of dance in Portland. On our website, you can browse our directory of classes to take and our calendar of performances to see. From ballet to Bollywood, tap to tango, there is something for everyone's interest, style, and budget. For a great introduction to who we are and what we do, join us for a live performance of our show, Momentum, August 25th at 7 p.m. as part of Old Moody Stages. Let your dance curiosity come out to play. Find us at www.dancewirepdx.org. That's www.dancewirepdx.org. And we're back with Charlene Zidell, Emily Running, and Josh Hecht. 
Greetings, Earthlings. We are here at Satellite, and I am talking to, I had the pleasure, the honor of talking to philanthropist and businesswoman Charlene Zydell, whose family owns the Zydell Yards, the former shipyard turned into a community event space that we're going to be talking about today, the old moody stages. I'm also here with Emily Running, the founder and director of Dance Wire, and of course, I am here with dictator Josh Hecht. <laughs> Benevolent. Oh, prof- of Profile Theater. Um, uh, greetings, everybody. Good mo- good, mo- good afternoon, uh, Charlene. Yes. Good afternoon, Josh. Good afternoon, Bobby. Good afternoon, Emily. Good afternoon. It's so great to see all your bright and smiling faces. Um, and today we're talking about something that uh, is really quite extraordinary. I mean, like six months ago, it was nothing. You know, there was a, there was a void and then darkness shown over the land. Um, and now we have a performance festival going on uh, called Old Moody Stages, where we're, we have a number of local grassroots organizations that are collaborating um, to make something that is going to be outside that all of Portland can come and attend. Um, and, you know, and I think as far as this uh, summer coming out of covid, I think uh this is a super exciting event that you all are putting together. Can um, you tell me a little bit about uh, how this dream was first um, thought of and then uh, brought to life or is being brought to life right now? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that has to start with Charlene. Otherwise, <laughs> you'll have three different stories from three different people. <laughs> well, I'll start with my vision. Um, it was November of last year and Pete was having an event on our site uh, and a little piece of property at the end of the barge building towards the river. And it was freezing cold outside. It was COVID. I think they had only 12 people there. We all came bringing our own blankets. We were uh, distanced in chairs, and they handed out hand warmers. And in the middle of this event, a helicopter went over. <laughs> and I thought, this is so amazing to be in this industrial site in the middle of downtown Portland experiencing art. So I started thinking that there was probably no reason why we couldn't try and do this in the next summer and bring together grassroots organizations and see what we could create. In my mind at that point, it was something really very simple, like maybe just a piece of ground or a flat stage. And um, then I had some conversations with Josh and Emily and a few other organizations, and uh, magic happened, and it was an opportunity to really create a community project where other organizations um, contributed some of the infrastructure. I mean, it... All I can say about it is it is a collaboration. No one owns it. It's tearing down the walls um, and hopefully creating a model that might move forward where the arts can all work together and support one another, uh, reducing the cost for everyone and increasing the opportunities. So I'll let Josh and Emily talk about where it went from there. See, I would go back even further because I remember when I first met you, Charlene, in 2018. And the first time that you showed me the property, you said to me, wouldn't it be incredible if there was an arts festival inside the barge building one day? And I remember at the time thinking, well, that's someone's full-time job to produce an arts festival. Uh, But we've had the fortune of sort of pooling several people together so that we could make it happen. But, you know, you've had a vision for arts down on the property for 
quite some time. And the thing that I think is so kind of extraordinary, and, and I bet you would have a similar experience, Emily, which is that, you know, normally artistic directors come up with the great ideas and then approach people and say, would you help us create this? It's so rare that, you know, people come to us and say, I have this idea for arts down here. You know, what would make it possible? And what I thought was so kind of incredible was that was when I received an email from you you know, that I was not expecting that said, if we were to put together a, a festival down on the waterfront, what would you need to make that happen? And, and then we started, you know, brainstorming around that, um, which is sort of the opposite of how it normally works in my experience. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would, I would agree with that for sure. That, um, that it is rare that um, that that happens in reverse, and um, you're talking about a blank slate, Charlene. It, you know, you kind of put a blank slate in front of a bunch of creative people, and <laughs> <laughs> so that's where a lot has happened. Um, so, Emily, uh, you talked about Dance Wire has been around mm -hmm. for seven years. Uh, you're keeping dance alive in Portland. What made uh, this festival? I mean, it's a it's, it's a different kind of undertaking. What made this festival right for your company? Absolutely. And it's it's a tricky question to answer because I think Dancewire goes through an identity crisis every time we think about <laughs> events um, <laughs> because we are the hub of Portland Dance. I don't have a company of dancers. I don't have a studio. I don't teach classes. That is not who we are. That is not what we do. We are the hub of Portland Dance. We bring everything together. And so it really spoke to us in that way it does sure. make sense this is something that is bringing people together this is a collaboration this is something where we are cross-promoting and cross-networking and um, just getting getting everybody enthusiastic about that this one thing and so I think that um, that is the part of it that really spoke to us and that that makes um, you know that makes our car connection with Charlene and the building. So we are also tenants of the old Moody building, um, our offices in that space. And so that mm. like, it just, it really makes a lot of sense for us. Um, so that's, that's really the part that, that we, um, when otherwise presented with an event, we, we kind of think, I don't know, I don't know. Is this, are we even doing this? But this being very collaborative and very bringing everything together does actually speak to exactly what we do. Right on. Uh, Josh, a similar question for you. Uh, you know, Profile is like a mid-sized theater company mm -hmm. in Portland. Um, but almost from, I, mean, I know from the, when, I, when I first heard about this as a staff member, uh, you were super fired up about it right mm -hmm. from jump. Mm -hmm. um, what made it seem so perfect for Profile? Well, I think the idea of bringing together all of these different arts organizations to, you know, as Charlene put it when, when she first broached the idea to bring arts back after so long of being on hiatus or moving to the digital sphere, to bring actual live performance back. Um, that was incredibly exciting to me, A. And then B, I just think that that space, particularly the barge building, but really the whole um, property is so kind of epic in scale, you know, and has such a history. And, um, and you know, and so the thought of doing theater, not in a traditional theater, but in this industrial mm -hmm. space in the heart of the city, that alone was really exciting. And then when you add to that the potential to create 
an ongoing festival for, let's say, six weeks of different kinds of arts. Right. That was also incredibly exciting. And then the opportunity to collaborate with these different companies that we had never collaborated with before. You know, so Dancewire and Portland Opera. And we had collaborated with PSU, of course. Um, but, you know, these different organizations, the opportunity to um, make those connections and see what resources we could pool has also been really exciting. So for all of those reasons, it was like an immediate yes to me. Great. And um, uh, one of the people that we wanted to mention who is not here is Laura Hassel, the, product, the producing director of Portland Opera. Um, uh, and maybe Charlene and then Josh, you all could talk to me about the contributions that Portland Opera made to this project. Josh, you probably are more aware of that than I am. Sure. I mean, you know, I think this project wouldn't have happened without Portland Opera. You know, they're bringing all of the platforms for both of the stages. And also, I think, you know, Laura has such a collaborative spirit. And Sue Dixon as well, the executive director of the opera, you know, they both um, without asking for anything in return, you know, they're they're perspective was we're happy to perform here but we don't need a full week of performances we just want to help make this happen and so not just the contribution of the stages and the trust that supports the lighting instruments but also i think just that collaborative can do spirit and her you know almost 30 years of experience producing um art uh, has been such an incredible benefit to our our little collaborative yeah, and I just have to highlight that even more. I mean, they have just been a joy to work with and, you know, say yes at every turn and what can we do and how can we help? And, you know, Dancewire, I started Dancewire by myself seven years ago and we have a very tiny budget. And so something like that just means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, one thing I will say about uh, the arts community, I felt like during the COVID in the past year of panic, and uh, social upheaval and all this thing. I feel like there were a lot of ways in which uh, the, art, the arts community came together to support each other. Um, so it's really extraordinary that this project came out of that spirit. Um, uh, I wanted to ask about the name, Old Moody Stages. Uh, who, who wants to speak to where that came from? That was Emily. I, it was me. And um, it, it originally had a different name. But, um, you know, Josh already spoke to the history of the property in the building. And as a tenant of the Old Moody building, I just felt um, not only is that helpful marketing when you have Old Moody right on the building and people are looking, where do we go? <laughs> but it was <laughs> it was really the history of that and what what. Charlene and Alan are trying to create with the with the office tenants and with just that space and the collaborative network within the building. Great. Um, since we first started dreaming about this, since you all first started dreaming about this and, put the, and putting together, uh, what was something that really surprised you about mm -hmm. the process that <laughs> that you know? And and this could be in a in a good way or a negative way, but like you know you know something that surprised or delighted or caught you off guard uh, in this process. Well, certainly the funding um, caught us by surprise. I mean, you know, Zelda Fischlander, who um, uh, started Arena Stage, you know, more than 50 years ago in D.C., which is now one of the largest theaters in the country, she famously said, if you have a million-dollar idea, you can raise a million dollars. And she said this back in the 60s when a million dollars was a million dollars, not what it is now. Um, and, you know, and we... 
Um, so we applied to a bunch, approached a bunch of different funders, and um, you know all of the ones that had early decisions, they all turned us down. And so we got to sort of late April or early May, and I think we were all starting to think, okay, well maybe this project isn't going to happen, you know, because we needed we had all of this incredible sort of seed capital in the property and in the equipment that was being lent by the opera and by PSU and others. But we still needed about $120,000 in cash to make the festival happen. And it wasn't coming in. And then all of a sudden, the very last week in May and the first week in June, the four foundations that had the very last sort of deadline, um, announcement deadline, they all funded us. So all of a sudden, it was June 5th, and we were a go to create this festival that was going to open, you know, about six weeks later. Uh, and so all of these plans that we had been sort of dreaming about, but sort of stuck a pin in for a time, we suddenly were taking that pin out and, you know, moving as quickly as we could to make it happen. Um, but that's the other piece that I think has really um, uh, deserves a shout out, which is um, the... Zydell Family Foundation, the Miller Foundation, the Ron W. Nato Foundation, and the Malie Lamfram Foundation, um, without whom we would not be able to do this incredible project. Right on. Right on. So, um, like, like, given that and some of this uh, stuff, what would have to happen for this pro- for this to continue in the future? Is, is, this, is that a thought that we might do this again next year, or we want to see how this one works out first? Well, I think we probably want to see how this one works out first. <laughs> you know, I'm always a fan of dating before we get married, right? Uh, let's get through August. But but I do think that there's a, a sense that, you know, certainly I hope that this collaborative spirit continues on into the future. Because just what you were saying, Bobby, about the way that we've all come together in this time to make things happen has been so incredible. And... You know, I think the idea of an outdoor summer arts festival would be phenomenal into the future. So great. Um, I can also add that we have learned a lot and we would do a lot of things differently. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What were some of those? I, you know, you know, going back to that funding, I think that we do have to set deadlines and it has been extremely jarring as a small organization to be, um, you know, we we really had we had heavy lifters, right? We had the opera, we had PSU, we had the infra like a, a big basis for the infrastructure in place, um, as well as the reputations of those supporting this and sponsors. Every mm-hmm. single sponsor said no. Anyone we approached said no, and it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because we also thought that it was a great idea, and it was something worth doing, and we thought that the, the city would crave it, right? That that the city would support it, and we thought that um, we were we were building up this venue to make our to make live performance accessible, even regardless of which way COVID went, like that we could actually still do this and build this. And I think that we would have, um, I mean, the whole festival, everybody involved would have benefited from having that funding come in sooner. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in the future, we, you know, we, we, we would have and could have (laughs) bailed on it um, earlier. And we didn't, we stuck it out and we're, you know, we're trying it for the first time this year, but that that type of thing needs to happen, right? Yeah, and of course, what's fascinating about everything you just said, like in like in the, regarding the question of whether we want to do it like next year, is that a lot of that will be easier this time for this one, or it will be easier the next time for this one 
having been done, you know. I think that's true. I think that as people see that it is possible, um, you know, it, it gets easier to do again. We don't have to um, convince people of this new thing that they've never seen before, you know. And and I'll say, too, that I think, you know, we've I've learned a lot about um, taking a raw space and putting a theater in there. And that's been really exciting. And it's a whole different beast, whole different beast. And as we think about, you know, where's profiles next permanent home, you know, that that alone fires me up in terms of thinking about, you know, warehouses that could become the next profile theater. Um, but it's true. Everything that Emily said about, you know, I mean, normally summer festivals, like when I think about New York Station Film or the O'Neill or these other sort of like, you know, national summer festivals, they start the, – the organization is a year-round organization, right? That planning, as soon as the festival right. ends in August, the planning for next season starts in September. Right. You know, and we had a much shorter, much more compressed um, timeline to pull it all off. It's almost like, really, we shouldn't have done this. This was crazy. You know, <laughs> exactly. which is, you know, especially with theater, I feel like that's so often how Always we roll. Always the case. Yeah. That's how we roll, man. Um, we have a couple minutes. Uh, do you want to tell me anything real quick, Emily, about your show, about the work that you're doing that's going to show up on the Moody's old Moody stage? Sure. So um, I'm not sure when this podcast will air. So um, there's there's a little It's broken up now because, again, <laughs> that tight timeline. Uh, this week, starting tomorrow, we are actually hosting um, 10 different classes that are open level that people can come take class um, and then later in August we will be hosting um, some live performance through our, with our ambassadors and Dancewire really tries to get more people involved in dance by inviting them to be curious about it. So um, if you feel like dance isn't for you, it is probably because of layers and layers of cultural perceptions that have made you feel excluded. I think that people think I have to be young and flexible and, <laughs> you know, all these things to be to be a dancer. But that is not the case. Everyone can enjoy dance. Everyone can be involved. So whether it's taking dance or seeing dance, that is really what we're trying to inspire. Um, and so our show that you will see in August is really a sampling and a very um, approachable way to learn about some of the really incredible dance happening in our city. Fantastic. Josh, you want to talk real quick about The Oldest Profession? Yeah, The Oldest Profession by Paula Vogel. It's the last of our series of Paula Vogel plays. We've spent about two years exploring her works and the works of her former student, Lynn Nottage. And this is one of her earliest plays. She first wrote it in 1980 when she was 28, and she reapproached it in 2004 when she was 53 and had become Paula Vogel. And um, it's a really charming play play about five practitioners of the oldest profession who are all in their 70s and are wondering what is the exit plan? What is the retirement plan for the most marginalized among us? So it's a comedy, but like all of Paula's work, it's also dealing with some um, pretty weighty issues like gentrification and social support. And it is quite the Portland all-star cast. As well, like we have, we have some of uh, Portland's finest that uh, the local audiences have seen over the years uh, doing their work in this show. It's super exciting. We sure do. Charlene, any last words from you? Well, I would just like to thank the collaborating organizations on this. They have come together. They have donated their time. They have worked tirelessly to create something for our community. And um, so I so appreciate that because from my perspective, um, that was where I had hoped that this would come from. 
Um, and it's just amazing to me that uh, you all have put in your time and made this happen. So I thank you for that. And Charlene, I, I have to feel like that goes back at you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, thank you for being a woman with a dream. You know, and uh, and having the the will and the means to make that dream happen. Well, it's been great fun for all of us. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, fantastic. That is a wrap for this portion of Satellite Beyond the Page. And that is it for this edition of Satellite Beyond the Page. Thank you to Charlotte Hathaway, Brenda Phillips and Wanda Walden, and Charlene Zydell and Emily Running and Josh Hecht. And of course, thank you to the creative team of Satellite, Jimmy M. Ray, line producer, Robert A.K. Gagno, sound engineer, Matt Weens, composer, and Sam Mowry, recording engineer, and the Willamette Radio Workshop, which recorded all the good sounding parts of this podcast. And then, of course, all the little shakier parts were recorded on Zoom at Studio de Bermea, all of which exist on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook people the Tualatin Band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and the survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifice forced upon them, and we honor their descendants who live on. And I am Bobby Bermea. Thank you for joining us for Satellite Beyond the Page. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Satellite Beyond the Page, as well as our community podcast, Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Write me at bobbyb@profiletheater.org. at profiletheater.org. One love and peace out. <laughs>